Welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Savaris, and we are here to preview the two NFC games for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. This is my single favorite weekend of the year in all of sports. Like, there are other events I look forward to more than the NFL playoffs, but this weekend, the divisional round is hands down my favorite weekend of the year. Because we get the highest level of football we're going to see head-to-head. And we get four games against with the eight best teams from a given season. So we've got both quantity and quality, four total games. It's not conference championship weekend usually has better games. But the fact that there are four this weekend and you get to build your whole weekend around a Saturday and Sunday of doing nothing but watching football. I know a lot of people are in basketball game on Saturday. They have a really... They have a top five matchup, I believe, in the SEC in conference playing college basketball. That's your appetizer. That'll get you to football on Saturday afternoon. I'm very excited for these games. I felt all of these teams, aside from Cincinnati, I felt like had a good shot of being at this weekend of the season at this point coming into the year. Like in August, if you had told me, we would have the Rams, Tampa, San Francisco, Green Bay, Tennessee, and um, Kansas City and Buffalo, I would have believed you. If you said the Bengals were here, I would have been very surprised. But this is an exciting weekend. We've got genuinely great matchups. Yesterday's show, we previewed the two AFC games. We talked about the Bills and Chiefs and Cincinnati and Tennessee. Gave you guys some matchups, some storylines, deciding factors to think about going into the weekend. Today's show will be the same, but for the NFC games, Green Bay, San Francisco, the Rams and Tampa... These two games are better than the two AFC games. That's also just because I I always say that the the wild card weekend, which was last weekend, has the bullshit detector game, which was Cincinnati and Las Vegas. But now I almost want to add that to this weekend because it kind of feels like Tennessee has gotten here in an improbable fashion with a lot of defense, with Harold Landry and Bud Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons and Mike Vrabel and Matt Voodoo as opposed to the Tennessee team we've seen of the last few years where Derrick Henry was just a superhero during the regular season. And then when it came time in the playoffs for their offense to make some plays through the passing game, they just weren't able to do it. I don't want to say that's a bullshit game, but it might be a bullshit detector game. And I'm very curious to see how it shakes out. But before I get to today's show previewing the NFC games, I do got to remind everyone to help support the show, support the content. Had a blog go up on Gotham SN on Wednesday about the, the duality of this Ranger season, about how the results have been encouraging, even though the process isn't very good, and why I want to be happy and excited about this team, but also why I'm waiting for the sky to fall. You can read that on Gotham Sports Network. The podcast, we've been going daily since the new year started. We've done a lot of stuff. Guests returning next week. I've got people locked in. We're going to have some fun talking about hockey. And of course... Support the show the easiest way you can as a listener. Subscribe. Whatever platform you like to use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, we're available on all the major podcasting platforms, so we're easy to find. Interact with the show stuff wherever you see it, whether it be Instagram or Twitter. i got to start doing things on top of just creating the podcast. I've got to do content to support the podcast. I know, the YouTube channel's been in existence for a while, but haven't done anything worth it yet i've got ideas i just need to get over the imposter syndrome that plagues me when i make videos because 
I'm not the best at video editing, so when I'm sitting there in Adobe Premiere, I get like, why am I doing this? Other people do this better than me, and I need to get over that and just accept I'm going to have to learn as I go to get better at it. Leave the show reviews wherever you're listening, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are the two places that have review systems in place on Apple Podcasts. You go to the show's page, scroll past the recent episodes. At the bottom, five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Leave some kind words. Support your content creators. Not just this show. If there is any podcast out there you enjoy, leave that creator a review. Reviews are free. They don't take a lot of your time, and they are very, they matter a lot to content creators. It helps us show to potential employers, advertisers, whoever, that we're getting engagement, that we have an audience, that the people care about what we're talking about on the show, and we're, that's what matters. We're trying to cultivate an audience. We're trying to make the world a little bit smarter. That, that's the goal of this show. Make sports discourse less yelling for the sake of yelling and more genuine emotion and knowledge. Okay, the preamble of the Constitution's over. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. And with that, we will get on into it. We're going chronological order. The Saturday game. This is my single favorite game of the weekend. Kansas City-Buffalo is more exciting because we have the two alpha quarterbacks in the league going toe-to-toe in... Allen and Mahomes, that might be a better football game. This is the game I'm most excited for. The San Francisco 49ers coming off of their surviving win against the Dallas Cowboys on wildcard weekend, traveling to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field in January. The Packers are six-point favorites. The game total is 47. This is the Saturday NFC game. Starting with the obvious, these are two teams, like the Chiefs and Bills, like we discussed yesterday, that have circled each other for a few years now. They've had quite a few memorable matchups. They've had some stinkers where one team just absolutely ran the other team off of the field. In recent memory, this season, these two teams played a great game on Sunday Night Football earlier this season. The Chiefs, the Chiefs, I've got so much Mahomes on my brain. I was watching a tape breakdown of Mahomes against um, Pittsburgh before I started recording. That's why he's on my brain, but... Everybody, I think, remembers the Sunday night football game where the 49ers scored with about 40 seconds left. They kicked off. Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things. They came down. They kicked the field goal. They won the game as time expired. He had that one insane throw to Devontae Adams over the middle of the field where he floated it over the linebacker but managed to dunk it in front of the safety so only Adams was able to catch it. Just the mastery-level stuff that you expect from somebody of Rodgers' caliber and That is the single biggest mismatch in any of the games this weekend at the quarterback position when you're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo versus Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about a multiple-time MVP winner, the likely MVP winner this season, versus the highest of that C-plus, B-minus tier of quarterback that you could probably win a Super Bowl with if everything is perfect around them. But that is the inherent flaw of building your team around a game manager is Every other part of your roster needs to be flawless, which is very difficult to do in a salary cap sport. So 
We've got the recent history. Shanahan and LaFleur, the two coaches for these two teams, are very good friends. They've worked together in the past on staffs in Washington. Everybody has seen that picture of the two of them with Sean McVay floating around on Twitter during this past week because these two guys are playing against each other. They both run interpretations of Kyle's dad's mic, play-action run offense, that is probably the most... I don't want to say it's like training wheels, but that's the easiest way I would describe it. It's training wheels for a quarterback. You can manufacture production from a less talented player in this offense because it is so it is set up for them to succeed. The running game, the play action, the pre-snap motion, the personnel adjustments, all of that stuff in this offense is designed to make the quarterback's life as easy as possible. And that's why Aaron Rodgers has had two of the best statistical seasons of his career in Matt LaFleur's offense because this offense is designed to get the most out of guys like Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins. If those guys can put up 4,000-yard passing seasons, it's not a mystery why Aaron Rodgers is throwing for this many yards at this stage of his career. Even though before LaFleur got there, there was kind of a maybe Aaron Rodgers is done with his prime and he's on the back nine of his career. Rodgers has had two of the best seasons of his career in the last two seasons, and it's because of the type of offense they run. It is easy to make plays in this offense because it is designed to take advantage of leverage and numbers. That's all this offense is designed to do. You're reading the number of hats, and hats, helmets, heads, whatever you want to use to describe it. You're reading the number of defenders in any given spot, and based on where that number of people is, the ball goes to another location. It's that simple. That's really simplifying it and dumbing it down. But this offense, it it is the most interesting to watch because it's manufacturing offense. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has gotten decent efficiency numbers out of Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard over the years when Jimmy G has been out. And that just goes to show you how reasonable it is to make plays in this offense. So these two teams have played each other a handful of times over the last three years. The game on Sunday Night Football this year, that Green Bay won. Last year in the regular season, this was the game Jimmy G was out. I believe it was Nick Mullins that started. Green Bay won 34-17. Then 2019, San Francisco, regular season, they thump them. 37-8 on Sunday Night Football. It is a laugher, a stinker. Whatever word you want to use to describe it, Green Bay is just overwhelmed. That pass rush is at the peak of its powers in the year San Francisco goes to the Super Bowl. You've got Buckner, you've got Solomon Thomas, rookie Nick Bosa playing out of his mind. That front four is just unblockable, and they're getting pressure only sending four. Green Bay's offensive line, not as good as it is now, but those two, three years ago. And when you're getting pressure with four, you can afford to play coverage. And when you can play coverage, you got to stand in that pocket longer because those guys aren't getting open. That encourages the pass rush to get home, and it's a very simple idea to only get pressure with four. It's just that not enough teams have the talent to get pressure with only four. And then, of course, conference championship game. Green Bay loses in 2019. San Francisco wins 37-20. And the year before that, the last year of Mike McCarthy's tenure in Green Bay, 33-30. That was Kyle's first year in uh, San Francisco. Close game, even though San Francisco using... Less than stellar personnel, no emergent talents yet that we've seen over the years that have come to be the core tenants of this San Francisco team under Kyle Shanahan. But storylines-wise, these two guys see each other as contemporaries. They're very good friends. They're competitors. 
they come from the same coaching tree. They use the same type of offense. They have similar ideas and principles for their offenses. And this is a measuring stick game. Kyle's been to a Super Bowl. He's also had three losing seasons, aside from this year, which is a winning season, obviously. They're in the divisional round. And Matt LaFleur's had two great regular seasons. And then both of his postseason appearances in Green Bay have ended poorly. They got thumped by San Francisco. And then last year, they shit the bed against Tampa Bay when they had home field advantage. If Green Bay is just sitting in a high zone and doesn't let Scotty Miller score before the half, I'm pretty confident that Tampa Bay wins that game. That's just coaching, man. And that is one of the factors in this game that I will get to in the deciding factors subheading of this discussion. But there will be galaxy brain moments in this game. Both of these coaches are guilty of that. You think about some of the things Kyle did last week against Dallas, kicking the field goal on the 19-yard line on 4th and 1. That is a textbook go-for-it situation because there is no difference in being up 10 nothing and 7 You got to get points, 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 and you need a lot of them. Green Bay is going to score at least 27 points in this game. Just gut feeling, instincts, knowing the type of team Green Bay's been this year. Barring something catastrophic happening, you're going to need to get into the mid-20s if you want to win this game if you're San Francisco. And that's going to require a lot from the San Francisco offense. That is going to be incumbent upon the defense getting some turnovers and the special teams not being an abomination, which is a storyline for both of these teams. Green Bay is the high-end version of what this of what San Francisco could be. If Green Bay if San Francisco has an Aaron Rodgers type talent, maybe they're this version. Maybe they're the consistent 13 and 4, 12 and 5 type team as opposed to the 10 and 6, 11 and 5 team they've been with Jimmy G. Because Rodgers is capable of making plays that Jimmy is physically incapable of. Rodgers can make plays out of structure in a way Jimmy G can't. He can extend plays with his feet in a way Jimmy G can't. And Aaron Rodgers just doesn't make the brain fart mistakes that Jimmy G makes sometimes. I mean, that interception last week against Dallas in the wildcard game is inexcusable. He does not have the arm talent to be throwing back across his body to the middle of the field, rolling to his right. That is inexcusable. That is one of the core principles that anybody who has ever played football knows. You do not throw back across your body. You do not do it because it is impossible to be particularly accurate or to have a lot of velocity on the throw. You cannot be doing that in a playoff game where every possession is so damn important. So matchups-wise, Nick Bosa is expected to play this weekend. He was excused from practice on Wednesday for a non-injury reason was what I saw on the injury report designation, but he was getting he was tested for a concussion last weekend. He failed the test, obviously, because they didn't let him back in the game, which is good. Even someone as good as Nick Bosa, you don't want them. You don't want to fuck around with a head injury is the way I'll, I'll delicately put it. Fred Warner, not on the injury report at all, which is good. Their best defensive player other than Bosa. So you got those two guys in there. Matchups-wise, I can't wait to watch Nick Bosa and David Bakhtiari go at it. And it's interesting because going into the game last week, and I thought Bosa against Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith would be exciting. Before Bosa left the game, he was eating. He took Lyle Collins' lunch on more than one occasion, just absolutely bullying the offensive lineman. I mean, there was one rush where Bosa pushed up through Collins' chest so much that Collins left his feet. 
It's not very often you see an offensive lineman get n- pushed up in the air, knocked off their feet by a pass rusher. That's how good Nick Bosa is. I genuinely think Nick Bosa is the best outside pass rusher in football. All due respect to Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, I think it's definitely Nick Bosa. And I, I said I said edge rusher, not including Aaron Donald, because Aaron Donald's his own category. But Nick Bosa is a truly special talent, and getting it to watch him go toe-to-toe with David Bakhtiari is exciting. Bakhtiari is one of, if not the best left tackles in all football. He's been injured, he's missed a decent portion of the season, but Bosa and Bakhtiari is a very intriguing trench matchup that we see a lot of at this point in the year, because if you're going to get this far, you have to have good play on the offensive and defensive lines. Regardless of the rest of your team, if you're not good in the trenches, it is extremely difficult to be competitive in these playoff games. The next matchup I have, Fred Warner against the Green Bay run game. Fred Warner is one of the best inside linebackers in football, extremely athletic and agile, able to go sideline to sideline in the old school Brian Urlacher, early career Brian Urlacher way where he could cover sideline to sideline in a menacing, intimidating way. Fred Warner is that good of an inside linebacker at this point in his career. And San Francisco is going to need him because Green Bay, for all of all of Aaron Rodgers' bluster and how he's won two straight MVPs, this is a run-first offense. I, I know that sounds weird to say about a team with Aaron Rodgers on it, but this is a zone-run play-action offense. Aaron Rodgers is able to be lethal in this offense because of how much the, other de- the defense has to respect the run and Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and A.J. Dillon are an elite running back tandem. Jones can give you a lot in the passing game, which Green Bay has definitely used a lot over the last two, three seasons. I'm very, I'm still surprised Green Bay decided to keep Aaron Jones with A.J. Dillon in the wings because you use a second round pick on a running back, typically you're going to throw him into your starter role sooner rather than later. I'm especially surprised because Aaron Jones' contract was up at the end of last season and they opted to extend him partly because Rodgers wanted him to stay. But A.J. Dillon's a nice complimentary back, thinking of him like a closer. He comes in in the fourth quarter to be your bruiser. All right, it's going to be miserable to tackle this guy because he's so damn big and fast. But damn do I like watching A.J. Dillon play football. And Fred Warner's going to need to have a good game, just flat out. If the 49ers are going to stay in this game, they are going to need to get pressure with four, which we're going to talk about in a second. And they're gonna need they're gonna need Fred Warner to have one of those Luke Keekley fifteen tackle type games. Just full stop. He's gonna have to be the most active player on that defense, go covering as much of the field as he can, because that running game at Green Bay is so good. Next matchup. Jair Alexander's return from the injury report. He has not played in quite a while. And what and how is Green Bay going to use him to try and mitigate Debo Samuel's contributions on offense? And that's really been the turning point of San Francisco's season was Week 10 when they started using Debo out of the backfield more as a traditional running back where they're just giving him touches on those inside zones and telling him, all right, Debo, you're the best athlete on the field. Start running people over. That didn't happen until Week 10 or 11. Week 11 was the first week where it was fully like, okay, this is a wrinkle we're using in our offense. Week 10, they experimented with it a few times. Week 11 is when it was like, okay, Debo Debo as a running back is a staple of our offense. But in the passing game, Debo is going to be out there to make some plays out wide. And Jair Alexander is one of the best erasers in the entire league. You can put him on anybody, and he is going to give them a hard time. I still, to this day, 
think about the game last year where the Falcons went to Green Bay. I was losing. It was a Monday Night Football game. I was losing in fantasy by point two. The other person had no players remaining. I had Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley did not get a target in the fucking game. That is how on him Jair Alexander was. Jair Alexander out of Kentucky, one of the fastest defensive backs in the entire league. Elite speed, which is what you need to have if you're not as big. He's not. He's only 5'11". He's not a physical corner. He's a speed corner. Their other main corner, Eric Stokes, is also a speed corner. Stokes out of Georgia. Green Bay's defense can get after you a little bit. With Rashawn Gary's, Darius Smith coming back is good. I do think there's a world where San Francisco can turn this game into a rock fight, and that's the kind of game San Francisco needs this to be if they're going to win. Because if they try, if Green Bay can turn this into a shootout, San Francisco is not going to be able to score thirty plus points. They're just not. Like Green Bay's defense isn't amazing. But it's good enough where they're not going to be able to score that 30. They're gonna not gonna be they're not gonna get let San Francisco score 34, 35 points that it would take for them to hang around in a shootout. They're just not. And then the other one I have here, Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary, who I just mentioned, against Trent Williams, who is on the injury report, who's listed as questionable. Trent Williams is one of the best offensive linemen in football. He's an awesome left tackle. I still think about the game. These two teams played on Sunday Night Football. It was 17-0 with like two minutes to go in the half. San Francisco has the ball. They're coming down the field. They get into the red zone, and they put in Trey Lance. That was still at the point in the season where San Francisco was using Trey Lance in specific packages. And they had him run a QB. I don't even know. A QB wham? QB pa- Yeah, QB power to the left. And they had Trent Williams out in front, and he threw the guy he had to block through the back of the end zone is how much push he got on Trent, how much push Trent Williams got on the guy. And Trey Lance was able to walk into the end zone, get it to 17-7. San Francisco made it a game in the second half. I still have that get, that play vivid in my memory just because of how much push Trent Williams got. And if San Francisco doesn't have Trent Williams, this is going to be a difficult game for them, just flat out. Uh, you need that guy. That is, There's a reason the 49ers... Gave up those picks to get him from Washington, and they gave him a big extension, even though he's old. He's 38 years old, one of the oldest starters in the league, especially at that position. And the last tier I have in the matchup category, George Kittle versus Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. Both Amos and Savage are active in run defense, but one of them is going to draw the... the, the, You have to be able to mitigate Kittle. And Dallas with... Demontre Casey did a nice job of limiting what Kittle could do. San Francisco uses Kittle a lot as a blocker because he is such a good blocker. But I imagine that they are going to attack that middle part of the field, San Francisco, because the Green Bay linebackers are not amazing. They are mostly pass-rushing linebackers. They are run-stuffing linebackers. They're not coverage guys. And you really don't want a regular conventional linebacker covering George Kittle. You just don't. That's a mismatch. So I want to see how much San Francisco tries to use Kittle and tries to physical, out-physical Green Bay. And that's part of why they were able to beat Dallas last week. San Francisco is not more talented than Dallas. San Francisco was just nasty. They were in those trenches on both sides of the ball. They got a lot of interior pressure, which is an advantage they're going to need to be able to do again. 
they're going to need to get pressure on Rodgers, and they're only going to be able to send four most of the time because you don't blitz Aaron Rodgers. That's just, you don't blitz Mahomes, you don't blitz Aaron Rodgers, you don't blitz Josh Allen because then somebody is going to have free cover. Someone's only going to have one person on them on the outside, and these elite-level guys are such good processors of what's in front of them that if they know someone is coming from somewhere, they know where that person on the outside only has so one person responsible for them. There's going to be a matchup to exploit. And that is why you have to get pressure with four and drop seven. You cannot afford to be sending extra guys with re- any real frequency because Rodgers will carve you up if there is any room on the field for him to throw to. So deciding factors. Number one. Which team's special teams is going to fuck up? That is not an if, that is a when. Both of these teams have historically had bad special teams units. It has been a problem in the playoffs. It has been a problem in the regular season. Mason Crosby goes through those weird dry spells during the season where he just can't hit a field goal. He's getting up there in age. One of the few players who was on the Green Bay Super Bowl team back in 2010. I want... I don't want special teams to be a deciding factor in this game. But it's going to be key. There are three phases in the game, and generally speaking, you need to win two of them if you are going to win. Special teams is one of them. Both of these units are bad. Whether it's a muffed punt, which we saw Wisnowski, the uh, San Francisco punter, have against Dallas, or Boroquitz, the Green Bay punter, has had some real shitty punts in key situations this year. You need to see something in that kicking game it's going to be a part of this game you cannot play a game without kicking field goals or punting unless you're um the bills playing new england in the division or in the wild card round then maybe you could say special teams don't matter but both of these teams are going to have to punt or kick at some point so don't be the kicker the punter the gunner don't be the person that fucks it up for your team at this point because the offenses and the defenses should be the story of this game so, moving along, trenches. This is a very clear-cut trench game. As run-first teams, both of these teams need to control the line of scrimmage to be successful. If San Francisco is getting pressure with four consistently and making Aaron Rodgers get rid of the ball before he wants to, that's a good sign that San Francisco has a chance to win this game. And vice versa. If Green Bay is controlling the line of scrimmage defensively and San Francisco can't get Elijah Mitchell or Debo Samuel going... That's a real problem because Jimmy G is not going to be able to drop back 40 times and beat you. The line of scrimmage is going to be the deciding factor in this game, and more so than in most games in 2022 because these are run-first teams, and there are just not a lot of run-first teams in today's NFL. I lean San Francisco in the trenches just because San Francisco's nasty, man. You got Trent Williams in there. You got Nick Bosa in there. Those are two alpha-type guys in the trenches that are just absolute matchup nightmares there is no i'm gonna block nick bosa with one guy type deals and there's no okay we're gonna send this person at trent williams we're gonna send Rashawn gary at trent williams trent williams is gonna throw Rashawn gary out of the club like Grant did on that one game against the colts on sunday night football next when will kyle shanahan's galaxy brain moment come it is going to happen When you are as creative and smart as Kyle Shanahan, you will occasionally go a little too deep in your bag, and you will get a little too cute. The the field goal on fourth and one from the the Dallas 19-yard line is a galaxy brain moment. Late in the game, having Jimmy G roll out to his right on a second and medium 
when you probably could have had him try to do something a little bit more simple, protecting a lead, that's a galaxy brain moment. Kyle needs to have his galaxy brain moment in the first half. Once this game gets into the witching hour window of four minutes to go in the third quarter to the end of the game, if Kyle gets a little too cute with it, that's how he's lost two Super Bowls, once as a coordinator and once as a head coach. He needs to have his galaxy brain moment early in the game. Can Jimmy Garoppolo make one play? That is really all I'm asking of him. More than one occasion in both of San Francisco's playoff runs with him as the starter, there has been a moment where he's needed to make a play, throw to Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, and last week that one overthrow he missed Ayuk on. He needs to make one high-level play in this game, and that will do a world of difference in determining the outcome of this game. Kyle is going to get his guys open for him, scheme-wise. Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, Jawan Jennings, who's had a nice role the last two weeks, including their Week 18 game against the Rams. Those guys are going to be open. Kyle needs to get them the ball. Kyle has to get them the ball with Jimmy. That is, That has been my apprehension in San Francisco as a Super Bowl favorite is Jimmy just doesn't have the talent. And this the team around him isn't as good as it was two years ago. And I just don't see a world in which this group can elevate him unless he makes a few of those plays that he hasn't over the years. And it's perfectly possible that he hits the big play this week and it's the determining factor. But I need to see it if I'm, I'm going to pick San Francisco to win. Next, Green Bay's secondary offensive guys. Aside from Devontae Adams, who's going to make a play? I imagine it'll be Aaron Jones. They've gotten a lot out of Valdez Scantling this year. Alan Lazard has had a few moments here and there, weirdly. That Green Bay offense has had this problem in the postseason before, where if Devontae is the only person getting open, uh, the team will live with that. And if the rest of the offense isn't making plays, then Green Bay runs into problems. And we've seen that on occasion where Green Bay's had just gotten absolutely run off of the field. Tampa did it to them last year. The Saints did it to them this year. San Francisco did it to them two years ago in the NFC title game and in the regular season where Green Bay just got behind and because Devontae was the only person getting open, they just couldn't move the ball with any real efficiency. It's possible to do that to Green Bay. I don't think it's going to happen on Saturday, but it's possible. Damn, I just looked over, and I've done almost 25 minutes on this game. You can tell I'm very excited. This is definitely... This is a football nerd's dream, because Kyle and Matt LaFleur... Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur are football nerds in the way that most of us on Twitter are. The ones who are constantly banging the drum about running backs not mattering, and offensive line play being the most important thing, and making your quarterback's life easy as possible. All of the things that modern football thinking is centered around is on the field in this game. My game pick. San Francisco plus six. I think Green Bay wins the game. I am skeptical of Jimmy G's ability to make big plays in this environment. Just that simple. He's going to need to make one or two of those big plays that he hasn't in his time in San Francisco. And I... I'd rather lose betting on Aaron Rodgers than betting on Jimmy G. It's a confidence thing. I don't I don't have a lean on Kyle versus Matt LaFleur. 
I like Kyle's offense more, but I think Matt LaFleur is a slightly better coach because he doesn't totally galaxy brain to the same degree Kyle does. Moving along here, of course, the other game this weekend, the Los Angeles Rams coming off of their first playoff win with Matthew Stafford going to Tampa to play the defending Super Bowl champion, fresh off a blowout win against the Eagles. Tampa Bay is a three-point favorite. The total is 48.5. This is your Sunday NFC game. I really don't know what to make of this game. My gut, my initial gut reaction is, don't overthink this. Tampa's the defending Super Bowl champion. Matt Stafford is the epitome of a B-plus player. Sean McVay is guilty of the Kyle Shanahan brain worms. But Tampa Bay is a little depleted. They only have Mike Evans and Gronk. The secondary is a little bit dinged up. You're going to see Richard Sermon maybe out there a little bit this weekend. This game's a little bit harder to get a read on. So let's start with the main storylines here. This is the Spider-Man meme. You know the meme with the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other? This is the Rams version of last year's Tampa Bay team. They get the quarterback who's been with another franchise his entire career. The Super Bowl is in their home stadium. They have a litany of high-level, Pro Bowl, borderline all-pro caliber players. And they're waiting for... This is the franchise's validating moment. A franchise that's been around a while. The Rams have been around a while, like Tampa was. Tampa came around in the 70s. The Rams a little bit before that. You need that validating moment. The NFL wants the Rams and Chargers to be successful in L.A., they need one of those teams to be in the Super Bowl relatively soon. I lean, just outright from the jump, I lean Tampa Bay. Use that as your framing for the rest of this conversation. These two teams have similar threads, last year's Tampa team to this year's uh, Rams team. A little bit of me is concerned that the Rams are just going to be happy that they won last week, that Stafford was able to win one playoff game for the first time in his career in his fourth try, and... I don't know how accurate that is, but that is a subconscious underlying thread that is worth thinking about when you're deciding what side you're going to back in this game. These two teams played in the regular season in Week 3. This was the Rams winning that game with the Larry David meme. Rams won 34-24. This was the the game that was like, okay, the Rams are for real this year when they they ran Tampa off of the field. They pulled away at the end at the key moment. They made the explosive plays, and that's before Matt Stafford started turning the ball over like a lunatic. That was one of the games early in the season where, okay, we see why Sean McVay wanted to go out and get a Matthew Stafford to lead this offense. Tampa's going for two in a row. That is a, that's always going to be a plot line when the defending Super Bowl champion is in the playoffs. That's a motivating factor. Tom Brady's whole my favorite ring is the next one that he's inherited from Bill. Brady's 44 and playing the best football of his career. It's genuinely remarkable how good Tom has been in the last two seasons, especially this year, in spite of some of the problems with the rest of the offense. And he's been great. He's going to finish his runner-up to Rodgers. I think there's an argument that he might be the MVP. I don't particularly care one way or another, but Brady should firmly be in that MVP conversation. He'll probably finish runner-up. This is an old school versus new school thing. Arians has been around in the league since the 60s. Eh, not the 60s. All right, the 80s. I'm exaggerating. but And McVeigh is like 36. These, This is the old school and the new school going head to head. And different ways of thinking. 
the Buccaneers, one of the teams that loses the most win probability through punts of any team in the league over the last two seasons. This season, the 2021 season, they were the number one team in terms of win probability lost by punting in situations where they should have gone for it. That's part of this. How aggressive is Tampa going to be if the Rams are up 10-0? Is that going to be a situation where Tampa's going to punt if they're around midfield because they're going to play field position and trust their defense? Maybe. Something to think about. Matchups-wise, this game has a lot, a lot of fun one-on-one matchups. The first one I wrote down is Mike Evans and Jalen Ramsey. That's just alpha receiver versus alpha corner. I don't know how much Jalen is going to get on him one-on-one because of the way the Rams play defense, because they use him in that star backer role where he kind of floats around and he gets a half of the field. And if Tampa chooses to move Mike Evans away from him, they can do that. The other half of the field is not going to be available. Granted, because Tampa Bay lacks some of those secondary offensive pieces that they had last year, you're going to see some Scotty Miller this week. You're going to see Cam Bray, you're going to see O.J. Howard, you're going to see the secondary pieces because Chris Godwin is out and Antonio Brown is hanging out with Kanye and Madonna and Julia Fox and God and Floyd Mayweather and God knows who else. So that's a fun one. Mike Evans, Jalen Ramsey is just good old-fashioned number one versus number one. Those are two guys who play physical, who if they're pushing and shoving after a play, they will fight. We've seen both of them in that kind of situation before. That's a fun one. Next, Von Miller and Tristan Wirfs. That's fun. Von had a terrific game in on the Monday night game against the Cardinals. He was getting a lot of pressure. He was making the tackles uncomfortable on both sides. When Wherever he was lined up, he was getting pressure on Kyler Murray. He was effective in the run game because he was used only on first. He was only used on second and third down for the most part. That's a fun one. Next. How does Tampa, and they're very good. I'll I'll be honest. Tampa Bay's got a genuinely good offensive line. How do they try and slow Aaron Donald down? Because we know that is one of the conventional ways that we've seen teams give Tom Brady a hard time. If you only send four and you get interior pressure so Tom can't step up in the pocket, you can make him uncomfortable. The Giants won two Super Bowls doing this with defenses less talented than the Rams. If you get heat, and you don't let Brady step up in the pocket to make his throws, you can make him uncomfortable. You can force him to do a lot of those dink and dunk underneath. You get him to third and mediums. Then you send heat on third down. That kind of stuff is fascinating to me. How you use the historical record against Brady to your advantage in 2022. The other one I have here, Sony Michelle and Cam Akers versus Devin White. Devin White is one of, if not the fastest linebacker in all of football, other than Michael Parsons, but Michael Parsons is like a positionless player, so even though he's listed as an off-the-ball linebacker, he kind of just plays wherever Dallas tells him to. Devin White is like 4-3, 4-4 fast. He's a heat-seeking missile out there. He is trickable. If you get him with a good ball fake, you can definitely catch him out of position. He overcommits a lot because of how fast he is, and it's harder for him to recover because he's already moving so fast. But we saw the Rams use the running game with moderate success against Arizona, just enough that Arizona had to respect play action a little bit more. Cam Akers had a nice couple of runs of like 10, 15 yards, two or three of those, and then a couple of no-gain ones. And then Michelle is a bowling ball, just flat out. He's hard to tackle. And that makes him a pain in the ass to play against when you have a guy like that who's going to fall forward every single time against you. It's... 
difficult when you think about it. Uh, I'm looking at it right here. How many rush attempts was it? Uh, doesn't matter. I, I was going back in my notes from Monday night trying to see how many rush attempts Cam Akers and Michelle had. It, it doesn't matter. The point is you're going to need something from that running game to help McVay's offense out because that offense needs to be able to run the ball. Everything I just said about Green Bay and San Francisco and being a run-first offense, it's the same thing, man. McVay is from that same school of football. He needs the running game so his passing game works. He needs the play action. He needs the bootlegs. He needs all the stuff to make Matt Stafford's life easier because if they just tell him to straight drop back against that Tampa defense, he's going to get eaten up. The Rams' offensive line is decent. It's okay. It's not bad. But that Tampa pass rush is ferocious. The Eagles have a great offensive line, and we saw we saw what Tampa Bay did to them last week. That was a thorough ass-kicking in the trenches in a game that I thought Philly would be able to survive on their offensive line talent, give Jalen Hurts a little bit of time. The Rams do not have a Jordan Mailata. They don't have a Jason Kelsey. They don't have a Landon Dickerson or a Lane Johnson. They don't. So it's going to be difficult if they're sending Stafford to drop back 40 times. I don't think there's a world in which the Rams can win a game like that. If Matt Stafford has 40-plus pass attempts, that means they've been losing the entire game, and they need him to throw out of that deficit. And when you try and get a quarterback like Stafford throwing out of a deficit, that's where you get the interceptions. That's where you get him trying to play hero ball, and you lose the game. You cannot have that if you are the Rams. You need this game to stay medium scores. You need something in the 20s. You need something in the teens if you're going to win this game as the Rams. Tampa's offense has been high-powered all year. Even even without Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin week 18 and then in the wild-card round, they moved the ball pretty much however they wanted to against the Eagles. The pass rush, the Eagles' pass rush had a few sacks. They got a couple coverage sacks later in the game. Once It was already 17-0, and then they started getting sacks. Okay, great. You lost already. Uh, not as much of a swing in the game as you might think. Deciding factors. Number one, will the Rams be able to get pressure only sending four? It's been the the trick to beating Brady his entire career. And to tell you how hard it is to do that, all you need to do is look at Tom Brady's career. 21 seasons in the league, seven Super Bowls, easily the most accomplished statistical quarterback of all time. One of the greatest competitors in the history of sports, and he's lost in the playoffs a handful of times in that window. I mean, for a 10-year period, he won. The, he was at well, he was at the conference title game every single year, even with bad teams. He would take them to the conference title game just because of how good he was. If the Rams can get pressure with four, we have a game. We're cooking with grease if we have the Rams getting pressure with Von Miller and Aaron Donald and we're able to minimize what Tom Brady's able to do in the medium and deep passing game because that's the secret to this Tampa offense. Tampa needs the deep shot to open up the underneath stuff. That's just the way this offense works. They are a deep to shallow offense because they are such a big play offense. Mike Evans is going to have his unless they opt to change how they've been playing. The Rams are a zone-heavy team because of the personnel they have. It is difficult to play a lot of man coverage unless you have quality cover corners. Outside of Jalen Ramsey, none of these guys, even Darius Williams, who I liked a pretty good amount, had a really nice year last year as the number one corner because Jalen Ramsey was playing nickel corner. They don't have John Johnson, who I liked on that defense last year. And 
We saw this Rams team, granted with Jared Goff last year, go to Green Bay in the divisional round and just not be able to stop Devontae Adams. Just whatever they were trying to do with Jalen Ramsey to stop him, I still remember, it's burned into my mind, the Packers had a play where they had they had Devontae Adams on the right, they motioned him to the left, he runs a drag route, and it's man coverage the whole way, and drags are one of the ways you can beat man coverage, and Devontae Adams ran the width of the field and turned upfield, and Jalen Ramsey was behind him the entire time. That play from last year's playoffs is still burned in my brain just because it shows you how effective Tampa can be. Excuse me. man cover. You can be beating man coverage if you can manipulate it. Now, I don't think the Rams are going to play a ton of man. That's not their identity with Raheem Morris, who's had success as a play defensive play caller. Of course, everybody remembers he had an opportunity to be the head coach in Tampa prior to Bruce Arians. He was the D.C. in Atlanta under Dan Quinn. Was the interim head coach last year after Dan Quinn was fired? Can the Rams slow down Tampa's offense? Because if you make Tampa think about it, that's when you can get them into trouble. Their running game has been very hit or miss. Keyshawn Vaughn was pretty good for them against the Eagles last week. They were able to use Gio Bernard in the James Wright facsimile role. I'm curious to see if they can get Leonard Fournette back for this game. He's I don't know what his designation is. I don't even know if he's activated yet. Hang on, hang on. This is what Google's for. This is what Google's for. We'll pause. We'll pause. So, my Google search tells me that Leonard Fournette practiced on Wednesday, so there's a reasonable assumption he's going to play this weekend, which will help. Leonard Fournette was great for them in the playoffs last year, and Tampa Bay is going to insist on running the ball in early downs, even though that's not the most efficient way to play offense, but it's the identity Bruce Arians wants from their offense. So, they're going to be running that ball on first down, and if you can continually stop the run on first down, you get them into those second and eights, second and nines, then you actually can start to play some defense. You start sending heat on second and nine. You try and get that pressure with four. You got, I know I keep repeating that, but in this game especially, it is more true because the Rams need pressure to survive because the type of defense they have. They cannot sit there in coverage all day if they're not getting pressure on the quarterback. And you can't really blitz Brady because everything I just said about Rodgers is true. He knows that man has seen every football defense on the planet Earth. That man has been in the league almost as long as I have been alive. That man was, that man won a Super Bowl when I was four years old. I turned 25 the week before the Super Bowl this year. And this dude still might win, be winning Super Bowls when I'm 25. He won a Super Bowl when I was four. That's how fucking good this guy is. God, man, it's insane when you start to think about it in the context of history. So, getting pressure with four. Number two, Arians and McVay. These are two guys with playoff experience now. McVay's been to a Super Bowl and lost. He's had a few playoff appearances. He always had Jarek off, so people gave him an excuse. Now he's got Stafford. You got to maximize your talent. You were the one who staked all those assets on Matt Stafford. You got to get something out of him. You got to win this fucking game. Arians, he's older. He's stubborn. He thinks his way is always the right way. That can come back to bite him, especially punting in situations where he shouldn't, that kind of thing. I don't get to slander Arians for being conservative as much as I used to because he did win the Super Bowl last year, but both of these coaches are liable to Galaxy Brain. Both of these coaches are very liable to Galaxy Brain in this kind of situation just because they're overthinking it instead of going with, going with the right decision. 
Next. Matt Stafford against Todd Bowles. And I know that's a weird one. I haven't been doing a lot of offensive. I haven't been doing a lot of individual players versus coordinators, but we know Todd Bowles. Going back to his time in Arizona as Jets head coach, now as Tampa's D.C., that man loves sending pressure more than anything in the world. He is going to make a quarterback's life hell if he can. We saw him do it to Mahomes in the Super Bowl, where just guys screaming off the edge, getting numbers advantages, overloading one side, making the quarterback make that adjustment at the line, adjusting the protections. There's a world in which this game is like 35-14 because Tampa just put Matt Stafford in the Steiner recliner for four quarters, where they pick him off three times. He has like 50 pass attempts for 235 yards. There is a world in which that game outcome happens just because of how aggressive Tampa is on defense because the personnel they have. When you have a JPP, a Shaq Barrett, a Devin White, you can send guys screaming. You can send guys screaming at the quarterback. And a quarterback like Stafford, who tries to play hero ball occasionally, there is a reason Matt Stafford tied for the league lead in interceptions with 17 this year. That man likes to play aggressively. If you match aggressive defense against an aggressive quarterback, that usually favors the defense because the play is more difficult. And there are very few guys who can make the plays that Stafford tries to make. Stafford is a B-plus quarterback. You can definitely win a Super Bowl with him. But he occasionally thinks he's an A-plus guy and he tries to make plays outside of himself. And that's where he gets in trouble. We've seen it this year in a number of games. The two games against San Francisco in particular stand out in my mind. (sighs) I'm excited for this game. Uh, Game pick. Everything I just said would lead you to believe I was leaning towards taking the Rams. I'm going with Tampa. Tampa minus three. If it was three and a half, I would take the Rams. It's three. I think Tampa's better. Tampa's a little more well-rounded. The Rams are an injury to one key player away from having like a sixth-round pick at like every vital position. So it's complicated for them. The Rams are a very top-heavy team. They do not have a ton of depth. You have one wide receiver injury, one tight end injury, one offensive line injury. God forbid a Stafford injury. And this game's over. Just flat out. Tampa Bay is deep. Tampa Bay has survived a very rough injury season to this point. And Tom Brady was an MVP candidate anyway. I'll take Tampa. I think we get a rematch of last year's NFC title game. I think we get Green Bay and San Francisco again. uh, Excuse me. I think we get Green Bay and Tampa again. And I hope we do. I think Green Bay and Tampa are probably the two best teams in the NFC. That's all I want, man. I want to see the best teams going mano y mano. Okay, that'll just about do it for today's show. I hope everybody got something useful out of it. Enjoy your weekend, man. This is my favorite weekend of the year. It doesn't get better than this. Four great games, eight very good teams. Enjoy it. There's going to be mastery-level quarterback play this weekend. Like, when you think about it, like high school, undergrad, grad school, doctorate, all that shit, you're going to see doctorate-level quarterback play from Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers this weekend. You're going to see grad school-level quarterback play from Matt Stafford this weekend. You're going to see high school-level quarterback play from Jimmy G this weekend. It's all along that sliding scale, man. That's what makes football so interesting, all the different ways you can approach it. I will see you on Monday. Full recaps. So, real quick, just as a reiteration, 
Cincinnati plus three and a half, Kansas City minus two, San Francisco plus six, Tampa Bay minus three. See y'all Monday.